Hey, this is More Than Velocity. I'm Bart Payer here with Jordan Oseguera and Ryan Croton. And today we've got quite a different guest uh, on board for you. His name is Dale Scott. He's been an MLB umpire for years and uh, we'd love to just kind of talk with him and, and figure out, you know, his thoughts about a number of different things. And, you know, before we get started, Dale, it's great to have you on. Why don't you quickly just kind of recap who you are and, and your career? Well, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, glad to be here. Um, yeah, I started umpire when I was 15 in Eugene, Oregon, uh, and, uh, you know, really enjoyed it. The reason I started is because I was a horrible player, even though um, I thought I was going to be uh, the first baseman for the Dodgers. <laughs> uh, I then, you know, started playing and that wasn't going to happen. So um, at 15, I started umpire and I really enjoyed it. And when I was 21, I went to umpire school and uh, did well enough there to get a job in the minor leagues. And that was the start of the a 37 year career in professional baseball. I spent five years in the minor leagues, a um, couple winters working a uh, uh, winter baseball in the Dominican Republic. And then uh, uh, had my first game in the big leagues in 1985. And I was uh, offered a contract in 1986 with the American league. And that was when uh, the leagues had separate staffs, American league and national league uh, in 2000, they combined the staffs to, to where we work everybody. But I, I came up as an American league umpire. Very cool. Very cool. So, um, Ryan, you're the one who organized this. I, I know you have a lot of different things that you wanted to ask um, Dale around some of the stuff that we normally talk about, but but other things just because nobody normally, you know, kind of delves into what 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 it takes to be an umpire and what you're dealing with day in and day out. So, Ryan, you want to you want to kick us off here? Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of want to just keep in the vein of understanding the day in the life of a major league umpire. I mean, so I, you know, Jordan and I were inside the walls of a team and I will tell you, we scout you guys. There's a, <laughs> there's a heavy amount of analytics that goes around umpiring tendencies, you know, and, um, but, but we never really had any interaction with umpires, at least for in my area, you know, high performance and, and same with Jordan being not on field. And generally the managers are the ones that are getting in your face. Right. But, you know, I'm curious, like you know, when the pitching coach is getting involved with the umpire, things aren't going well for anybody. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah this is not a good sign usually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot I want to pick your brain, but like, how, how does it work as far as your lifestyle? Like, are you going to all sorts of, there's 162 games. I mean, right. are you doing 162 games or like, how does that work? No, no. Um, a major league umpire uh, works, uh, well, you know, full season, but they have four weeks that they have off four one week breaks during the season. And then uh, they're also working replay, which is part of your schedule. And each crew will be in the replay uh, in New York working replay a minimum of two weeks a year. Some crews work two and a half because they're working the all-star week. And then, uh, and then other crews work three weeks in replay. There's always two crews in replay and there's always two crews that are off. So there's 19 crews total uh, in, in major league baseball. Um, and so what happens is uh, we're just, we bid on schedule. The, the crew chiefs, uh, crew chiefs one through 19, uh, based on crew chief seniority, will get uh, 19 schedules, uh, you know, usually in February or March, and will bid on the schedule. And on the schedules from opening day to the last day, it has your uh, weeks off built in. It has the weeks that you're doing replay built in. So you're, you're, you're bidding on the entire, uh, you know, season schedule. Um, obviously a, a more senior guy is going to have the first, second, third pick, higher picks and, uh, and, and will you know, pick a schedule that they, 
uh, deem, you know, good for them. I mean, some, for me, I was, you know, West coast guy. So I, I, I always wanted to bid on, on, on a schedule that had a lot of West coast games and, and sometimes it would vary quite a bit. I mean, uh, I remember one year there was one schedule that had only 17 games on the West coast. When I say West coast, I also include Arizona and Denver, mm-hmm. uh, and, and only had 17 games on the West coast. And, and that same year, another schedule had 47 dates on the West coast. Wow. And it, obviously that, uh, you know, I like that <laughs> being a West coast guy, but there are some guys that hated going to the West coast because they live out in the East and they have a better chance of getting home on off days and stuff. Um, so, you know, that bidding on schedules, there's a lot of different factors why guys bid on it and whatever, but that's what you do. You bid on a schedule, you get your schedule and, and then you just work it. We won't work 162 games. If we're healthy, the entire a year. Um, it, nowadays, I think you'll, depending on your replay schedule, you'll, you'll work about a hundred and uh, I don't know, 125, uh, maybe somewhere in there. Uh, it, that always varies. Uh, you work with the crew. I'm the crew chief. I, I, I put in five names uh, in, in uh, late December, early January that I would like to work with. They try to match you up with at least one of those guys on your crew. Um, and that's how the crews are formed. And then, uh, and then you just go out and work. Man, this is, I mean, this is so crazy because when I first started working as a major league assistant strength coach, I lived in an apartment building called the Sailcloth Factory in Baltimore, which is around the corner from Babe Ruth's house. Sure. But there was an umpire, a major league umpire that was my neighbor, which is kind of weird, but we never really talked. Uh, first of all, I was kind of concerned, like if you ever umpired our game and I'm talking about the team, I, I just didn't want to get into that conversation. Right, right. But the one thing I noticed is that he was quite regimented in that we had a small little fitness area in this apartment that this guy like daily, I would see if he was home, um, he was doing, you know, the Stairmaster, he's working out. I mean, the, the thing is, like, I, I wonder what you could tell me, you know, obviously, there's a cognitive fatigue element of umpiring, but, you know, your body you're in the crouch, you're, you know, you're holding positions, you know, some of those guys got to run and move around. I mean, right. Um, you, you, do you get tired, you, you know, after games? Are you kind of like, is there a certain part where you're really like, man, I'm whipped? Oh, a- a- absolutely. Um, you know, uh, you know, the plate umpire, uh, different from the base guys, the plate umpire has got all the equipment on and, you know, he's doing basically anywhere from, uh, you know, I don't know, 200 to 300 deep knee bends uh, over the course of a three-hour game or, you know, whatever. And, uh, I mean, my longest game behind the plate uh, way back in 92, I went uh, 19 innings, six and a half hours. <laughs> so oh it's like, I'm not even sure how many pitches I saw, but uh, way too many, I might add. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so you know, and, and, and we're taught and trained uh, to use our legs and not our back. You know, it's easy – uh, it, uh, what I see when I uh, teach clinics and stuff and amateur umpires is uh, guys have a tendency to lean or, or, you know, lean down behind the plate and you need to, it's more like a sit uh, using yeah. your legs. Like you're sitting on a chair because obviously your legs are much stronger than your back. And that's going to, uh, you know, you know, help you immensely, especially in those long games. Yeah. You get tired, but uh, you, you know, if you're leaning all the time, plus you're not looking, you're not seeing the pitch the way you want to see it and that kind of stuff. But I don't want to get, get in the weeds on that, but um, yeah, you, you, you definitely get tired and, you know, you may work third base or, you know, actually the, the, the position you probably, 
uh, move to the least is probably first base only because uh, the way the rotations are and everything. But, um, you know, it's a lot of start and stop, uh, you know, uh, 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 you know, it's, there's, there's not a lot of gradual working up to a run or something. Usually the balls hit, boom, you're, you're, you're going to wherever you have to go um, and that kind of stuff. And then, you know, physically tired. Yeah. I'm also mentally tired because you're so focused on a game, you know, it's easy to, especially on the bases, especially like, for example, third base, uh, you may not have a call for inning after inning after inning, just nothing uh, that comes up, but you better be ready for one uh, because yeah. all of a sudden you have that fair foul or that check swing or that uh, uh, catch, no catch or whatever. Uh, and you better be prepared for it. So it's, so it's a mental uh, for umpires, well, it's for players too, but it's a mental thing where you have to just stay focused every pitch, every play uh, ready for whatever is going to you know come about. But I, I'm, I'm telling you, <laughs> yes, you are tired. Yeah. Uh, you know, especially those day games uh, in July in St. Louis or, or, or whatever, where you are. I mean, I, there were, I literally, there were games, I'm a sweater anyway. And, and with all that equipment, literally there were games where I was soaked. Even my ball bag where I keep the, the baseballs was damp. Where I'd, have oh, to have the, I'd have to have the ball boy come out and kind of give me fresh balls all the time because uh, just because I was, you know, the humidity and everything, I was, I was sweating so much. So yeah, you definitely get tired. Okay, I got one more question, Jordan, and you can take over because this is exciting for me. <laughs> when you throw the ball, so you've done the plate? Or, yeah, you work the plate every fourth game. Okay. I mean, you, you rotate so every, you, every game. This yeah. is a question I have because you got all these fans, right? You know, you might go and play at a packed house, maybe at the Dodgers. Some of these teams are really well attended. And you got to make a throw back to the pitcher. Is there any level, like, of anxiety there? I've never seen on television – an umpire with the yips, but I know a pitcher who's on the mound doesn't want to have to jump or move left or right. I'm just curious, like, how do you train your arm? You know, what well, do you do? Uh, uh, you didn't see the yips for me because the way I threw it was I handed it to the catcher. <laughs> That's how I <laughs> threw the ball. <laughs> okay. I was told, I was told uh, by a minor league supervisor when I, you know, in the minor leagues, said, you you, you might want to just hand it to the catcher. I think maybe that's probably the best way to get it. <laughs> so, so, so you're uh, serious when you're saying you're not going to be the first baseman for the Dodgers growing up. I am totally serious when I'm <laughs> okay. telling you that I sucked. Okay. <laughs> and, and I've, uh, uh, promoting my book this year, I've been asked to throw out a couple of first pitches, uh, you know, and, and in, in the last couple of years, uh, the Dodgers and Baltimore and in uh, San Diego, uh, uh, Seattle. I, I, it's funny. Uh, I'd had five uh, ceremonial first pitches. Uh, the count was three and two. <laughs> so I had my my sixth one was in San, uh, Seattle and the pressure was on. Right. Uh, it, it was three and one. I, I threw a strike in San Diego. So now here we go. Three, two. And I'm thinking, I'm telling people I got to throw a strike here. You know, I'm, you know, having fun with it. And I bounced it. I mean, it was horrible. I mean, it was, I mean it was, I'm right, right in my backyard here in going Portland. For the chase. You know, I mean, going for the chase. I mean, you know, I, I, I walked him. I'd probably hit him, frankly, but I, so, so uh, yeah, I have a terrible arm. And now some guys, there are some guys that are very athletic and, you know, they, they whip the ball there. A lot of catchers like to throw the ball back. They, they would rather throw the ball back either uh, just because of habit or, or uh, um, you know, superstition or, or, you know, or whatever. Um, uh, but, but yeah, for the most part, I just handed the ball to the catcher because I know my limitations. <laughs> All right, Jordan, fire away, man. I mean, my, the big question I have, and again, this is just one of my don't going through the minor leagues, you know, coaching all that stuff. I would also, from when I coached in college, I'd run into the same umpires that I had in college in the minor leagues. And kind of when I got into coaching in professional baseball, 
how do they move umpires up? What are the qualifications for that? Um, Cause like when we would get into sometimes get into those postseason things, there's a couple umpire crews that I got pretty close to when we get these rain delays, we're all stuck in a tunnel in the Arizona league or, you know, whatever it is. And they're coming in trying to figure out what we're doing for, for the rain delays in high a, you know, double a places like that. And the guys are like, yeah, I didn't get picked to go to the, go to the postseason. They said I didn't meet the qualifications. I'm like you're the, you're one of the best guys in the league. Why are you not in there? What are those qualifications that they're evaluating umpires on? I've always, I've never really known. And I've always kind of wondered. Well, it's an overall thing. I mean, in, in, in the big leagues, you are, you are evaluated on, you know, practically everything you do. I mean, every, every umpire is evaluated on every single pitch that you called that season. Uh, you're evaluated on every call on the basis or the plate that you've had that season. And you're evaluated sometimes on calls you didn't make, but should have, for example, an obstruction that you didn't call or something like that, or an interference. Uh, uh, the supervisors are, are either in house. I mean, uh, you know, at the ball because they travel around and they're at the ballpark or they're the, you know, there's the video uh, evaluations, uh, obviously your, your, your uh, score on your plate work. Um, comes in after every play game um, and all of that data and all that information is available to them in early September when they start formulating who's going to be working uh, postseason. There's 76 umpires, full-time umpires on staff. I, I don't, I, I, this may not be the right number, but I think, I think there's around um, uh, uh, 38 or 42 guys that'll work postseason. That includes the uh, wild card game, uh, the divisional series, the LCS, and then the uh, the World Series umpires come out of the divisional series. So the the guys that work the divisional series, um, there's 24 of them. Seven of those guys will then work uh, the World Series. But to get to the postseason, there's all the data they have from your uh, uh, plate and base work. Um, you know, sometimes there's a, a guy that's missed a significant part of the season because of an injury or whatever. So that might be eliminate that person for this year um obviously you know we never go uh, uh with a with a clean ticket there's always guys injured so, you know there may be a guy that was going to be in the postseason for sure and then in the last <laughs> month he he pulled this or did this and you know so he's out of action so what so you have all that to, to deal with um and then you just put crews together and and, and it's not a hundred percent just based on your uh, your scores and your plate work. They, it, there's an overall, uh, you know, uh, consensus of, of, of your work. For, for example, um, let's say the top uh, seven guys uh, on their plate scores were all guys uh, with 10 years or less experience. Well, they're not going to put them all, you know, they're not going to work the World Series, okay? I mean, not all of them. I mean, some of them will, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, because you got to have, you have to have crew chiefs, you have to have experience, you know, guys that have been around a little bit. Um, so that's factored in, um, in that I, I wish I could give you a definite answer that this is, this is why, and this is, you know, this is that, I mean, there were, there were years that I thought for sure I was going to get postseason, and I didn't. And there were a couple of years that I, I didn't, wasn't sure if I get postseason, and I got the world series for right now. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, so sometimes it's a little bit of a mystery, um, but that's basically to answer your question. That's what it is. And, you know, you're talking about you, you know, obviously you see the crews uh, as you, you know, as the season goes and there's guys that you feel are better than uh, other guys or that, that you're more comfortable with. But what's funny is, is, is kind of in reverse with an umpire. For example, uh, I could have, uh, I could see, uh, you know, Seattle uh, five times all year. 
every time I see him, a certain player in Seattle hits a home run or hits, you know, has a game winning hit or something. I think this guy is a superstar. I mean, every time I see him, he's always, you know, he's always doing, uh, having a great series. He's actually, he's a, he's a, he's a two thirty hitter for the season, but I just happened to see him, you know, what, what just mm-hmm. the few times I see him. So it's kind of like with a, with a, with a coach or a manager or, or, you know, a team, you see an umpire, you know, a crew and, and things go great. And there's some tough calls and they're rowdy on top of it. And you think, God, this is a really good crew, but maybe they struggled somewhere else, but you, you know, your, your uh, thoughts on them are, are, or it goes the other way around pretty good crew. But when they had you guys, uh, there were some things that came up and, you know, whatever. And like a few guys got tossed and all of a sudden you think this crew, eh, they're a little shaky. And then you wonder why are they working the playoffs? And when we see them, uh, it seems like things aren't going mm-hmm. well. So, you know, uh, that's all objective. That's all, you know, kind of, uh, you know, there, but the supervisors see you all year. They're, they're evaluating all the uh, video and, 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 you know, scores and all that stuff. And then they come up with their, with their list of guys. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the same things we always got told when I first started getting into scouting was you might see a player on his best day or his worst day. So always go back in for the second look, reevaluate. And on that, how has the implementation of like TrackMan and Hawkeye, how has that helped or hurt the, the, the development of an umpire? Well, um, you know, in 2002 or three is when we had the first tracking evaluation system it was called Quest Tech. And uh, it was an adjustment for everybody because quite frankly, uh, the strike zone had gotten real wide and real short. Um, we were league wide in, in, in both leagues. Uh, pitches that were, you know, definitely outside were strikes and consistently called strikes. But anything, almost almost nothing above the, the waist or, or just a, a tad bit higher uh, was too high. I mean, you know, the, the strike zone was kind of askew. It had developed into this thing that really wasn't what the rule book says. They, they redefined the strike zone in the rule book. And then when Quest Tech came in, and then they wanted us to, as you know, t- to call the pitches. Now they had an evaluation system that tracked the pitches and all that stuff uh, to the strike zone. Well, it was a, an adjustment. Um, again, I think it was two thousand. I think it might have been two thousand three when that really was in full effect. It was quite an adjustment for everybody. I mean, for the pitchers, for the hitters, and for the umpires, especially guys that have been around for a while, like myself, because now we were uh, we'd established a kind of a zone that we have had for uh, for many years, and suddenly, you know, it's it's different. And it took, you know, I mean, uh, Greg Maddox wasn't getting that pitch outside like he used to, right? Okay, mm-hmm. um, so he had to adjust. Uh, um, hitters weren't used to, you know, pitches that were a little bit higher than they're, than they're used to. And, and actually the, the redefined uh, uh, zone actually made the low part of the zone, the hollow of the knee, knee just a tad bit, uh, you know, uh, uh, lower than, than what was being called. So there was an adjustment for everybody and it was uh, painful at times, <laughs> you know, guys were frustrated because they're getting called out on strikes or they're not getting strikes or, or, or we were frustrated because I would get my quest stack and I, you know, it, I, I missed more pitches than I thought I did because because I was still calling it too far outside or, or whatever. And it took a while for for everybody to kind of get into that group. Now, believe it or not, regardless of what you hear, um, the strike zone league wide is is much more consistent umpire to umpire than than what it was, like I said, before Quest Tech and, and that kind of stuff. What kills us, quite frankly, guys, is the on screen strike zone that these networks you know uh, uh, that they put up because they're not accurate um they don't uh, they certainly aren't adjusting for the high low of each hitter um right. uh, you know in real time just a little sidebar here when when we get our scores uh, i work the plate let's say on a monday night 
I don't get my uh, evaluation scores and everything until Tuesday because uh, they have a technician after every game through, you know, all the plate games at night, uh, a couple technicians, but they, they go through and, and every pitch that is uh, recorded as a miss, they go in and make sure the high low uh, lines are correct for that hitter. You know, it changes every hitter. It can change every pitch. If a guy squares to bunt versus if he, if he's swinging full away, you know, it, it's, it's defined as your, your high lows are defined uh, when you're about to attempt to, you know, strike at the ball. So that can change even with the, every pitch. But the, the point is to make sure it's as accurate as possible. That's done uh, after the game's over manually. Well, obviously they're not doing that in real time on a broadcast, you know, and, and understandably, you know, why, but the problem is, is, uh, and I showed this um, on my Facebook page, uh, a couple months ago, but it was, it was uh, St. Louis at uh, the New York Mets. There was a three, two pitch that uh, both telecasts, you know, the, the, the visitors had their telecast, the Mets had theirs, the on-screen strike zone, the Mets had the three, two pitch as ball four, which is what the umpire called the Cardinals had the three, two pitch as a strike three, which they thought he missed it. It was a, it was a Mets, uh, Mets hitter. That just shows you right there. It's the same exact pitch that two different telecasts have two different, uh, you know, points of view or whatever. So the Cardinal people in St. Louis and, and watching that telecast are going, oh my God, he missed that. Why have you missed that? Yeah, it's right there. The Mets people are going, oh, good call. That's ball four. You know, so my point is this, they're not accurate hundred percent, but people see that that's the reality. And so as far as they're concerned, that's, that's it. So that's killed us. Uh, it really has because uh, the scores or the, uh, perception of a viewer watching that on-screen thing and the scores that internally that major league baseball has are different uh uh you know uh, an on-screen telecast thing that might have you missing i don't know 10 pitches let's say well the the internal the, the one that counts for us uh has you missing four pitches uh because of how you know the the uh, uh, uh the barometers of how how it's all tracked and all that stuff so um that's what's really killed us is because obviously uh, what people see is their that's their reality and that's and, and that's 100 to them 100 accurate this, this what is i've kind noticed of from my end in. is oh. on the minor league side specifically because for me the umpires the, the big leagues are they're always going to be pretty consistent you know what those zones are they don't vary that much like everyone complains about angel hernandez but if you overlay angel hernandez's zone with another umpire they're not really that drastically different at the end of the right. day um but what I've noticed on the minor league side is, you know, when I first got into the minor leagues for coaching was 2016, not everyone had TrackMan yet. By 2017, every stadium had TrackMan. There was none that didn't have it. And by that time, there was so much information that the umpires were getting reports after going, hey, you missed 25% of the calls. They go, oh, I'm way too wide on the zone or I go way too much arm side on a righty, whatever it may be. Right. And they started dialing it in quicker because they had that information and that feedback right. where pri previously they did not. Right. Um, so I think it's done a really good thing for it in general. But with that also, it's like, you know, I've had pitchers tell me, man, this guy's, he's, he's squeezing me back there. He's screwing me over this. Uh, he's, he's killing me. It's like, dude, he, he's a person. Do you not think that he's going to have some mistakes back there? Like, what is your margin for error? Do you throw a perfect pitch every time? Well, no. Well then maybe give a little bit of grace because we're in rookie ball. Like calm it down. Okay. Like right, you're right. going to be okay. <laughs> well, very, very, very true. Um, you know, uh, 
every one of the things about pitches about missing pitches or the perception of missing pitches whatever the whatever the deal may be is situational you know i i have a uh, first pitch of it at bat in the second inning of a zero zero game, blah, blah, blah. And I, uh, yeah, it's a close pitch and I ball it. And they, ah, you know, that same pitch with uh, the tie and run, at, you know, in the, in the seventh inning or something, all of a sudden that same pitch, they really want it more, you know, and they, and, and they're mm-hmm. going to uh, say something. So sometimes it's situational where, um, you know, you, you may be correct, uh, it, you know, very close pitch, but you may be correct, but it, it, no one even bats an eye on, on one situation, that same pitch in a different situation, they're, they're screaming, you know, cause they want it so bad. Uh, and, you know, or a hitter or what, you know, whatever the case may be. But um, you know, the problem is guys is, is, is that, you know, we go out as umpires uh, with the mindset that we want to get every pitch and every play, right. We, you know, we don't go out and thinking, well, I think I'm just going to try to miss only four game, you know, or four pitches today. You know, I, I mean, that's not that's not how you enter again. Yeah, no not, umpire is actively trying to hose you. You know, <laughs> right, right, like, that's their right. job to not do that. Right, and and so it, you know, and so that's your mindset. Um, you know, rarely when you're working the plate, are you going to get 100 percent of your pitches right? Okay, um, but uh, league wide for the umpires, staff wide. Um, I think, uh, last year, I, uh, I know the last year that I, that I, the year I retired w- was 97.2% staff wide for the entire season. That's a, that's wow. thousands of pitches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now somebody said, well, it's not hundred percent. Well, no, it's not. <laughs> um, but, but it's, you know, it's, it's not, I guess what I'm trying to say is I think if you polled fans, they'd say, Oh, I don't know. League wide, they're probably about uh, 80% or 85% or 90%. You know, I mean, I, I don't know if they really understand how, uh, how uh, accurate for the most part we are, but again, if you're a fan or if you're, you know, if you're pulling, if you've got a dog in the hunt, so to speak, and that close pitch at a, at a, at a, at a pivotal time in a, in a, at bat or a pivotal time in a game, doesn't go your way and you know and, and it's a borderline pitch could you know maybe go either way you, you know you're not happy um and 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 i understand that that's you know we're not we're not out there to make people happy we're, we're out there to try to uh you know call the game as, as best as possible i i know that there must be frustrations and especially you know you're talking about the minor leagues um, you know, these guys are coming out of school. They're, they're, they're good umpires. They're the best of the best of, of, of the school of that year, you know, go, going into rookie ball and, and that kind of stuff. But very similar to the players who are very skilled players. That's why they're there. They're still learning the game. They're learning the game on a professional level. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, players, coaches, and man- many times managers, if they're, if they're young managers, are learning what they can and cannot say in, in arguments or how they can approach umpires, you know, and, 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 and be okay. Umpires are learning when to, when to eject guys, when not to eject. I, I, when I was a young umpire, I ejected guys before I should have, you know, because I, <laughs> you know, I, I, I was, you know, a quick trigger or there were t- times that I should have run a guy and I didn't because I took, you know, so you're still learning the game at a professional level as you, as you move up. So, you know, the strike zone should be pretty consistent, but there's going to be times that you're, you know, you're just like a, a rookie pitcher or, 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 or hitter. You're going to, you're, you're going to uh, have a meltdown or just, you know, mm-hmm. throwing four really good innings the next inning, you can't find the play for whatever reason, you know? So, uh, you know, those things happen. And, and uh, you know, if you can take a deep breath a little bit uh, and it's like Jordan's, <laughs> Hey, you know, Hey, he's human. You know, he might, he might miss a pitch. You might, you might not throw a strike every time, whatever, you know, uh, just take a deep breath and move on. I gotta, I gotta jump in because you're hitting. So the, the science of all of this, mm-hmm. we need to discuss. Okay. This mm-hmm. is a big deal. So my background 
is in biomechanics and exercise physiology, but I am really focused. What, what I'm most passionate about is injury prevention. It's not velocity enhancement. Okay. And my thought, and I've been looking at teams for a while, I've been talking to some teams, you know, they've been asking me, why are we, you know, what is causing our injuries? Right. Right. And people ask me all the time, what's the biggest cause of pitching injuries? Well, it's pitching, right? <laughs> right? So, so, you know, one of the biggest issues I think that teams are plagued with is what I call pitch efficiency. How can we lower the amount of pitches per inning for each pitcher? And, and, and kind of like now when I'm thinking about the umpire and we're, and we're getting this information, right, from you, that there's certain pitches missed. And, and what can happen is that over, over time, um, those accumulate. Sure. Right. That that's that's extra workload. The the biggest one of the biggest questions I have to ask you is, you know, I haven't paid a lot of attention to, to, to baseball. And, you know, I've been working really hard and I don't focus on a lot of the, the current media. But what do you think is going to happen if this becomes a like a, a technological approach to calling strikes and balls where, you know, now um, this is done automated? Do you think what do you think is going to happen? Like, I, I'm, I don't know if this is going to actually. Hey, help. one thing I'll say on that though, is I was watching a fall league game when they had the little buzzers and things on there. I saw right. a ball short hop, the catcher freaking <laughs> wear the guy out the bicep and the umpire's like bald. And it's like, that actually that it says it's a strike. So yeah, it's a like strike. It was like, not a strike. So even that's going to screw the screw it up what, from time to time, you know, like that's it's, what it's, I'm it's worried not about, man. I'm worried about that. Like I, I, I try to pay attention to a lot of major league baseball rule changes and things. Um, you know, they want to change the mound distance and like it, this affects mechanics. Sure. It affects a pitcher's repeatability when you, when you, and, well, then you put you, that on there too. And you said you're 97.2% league wide. If you move the mound back or move the mound different, now that's a different visual acuity and the umpires are going to perceive and see things differently as gonna well. Be a, that's going to change no adjustment by everybody. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's frightening. And this is kind of why I'm so excited that we connected on LinkedIn and, and, and trying to, you know, extract this information because this potential approach could potentially push the injury agenda to a place that could be very scary um, by taking the calls out of the umpire's hands. And the other thing I do like too, is the catchers can trick you guys in a sense and steal some strikes to lessen workload. And now that might be out of the equation. So I'm, let, you know, what do you let think? Me, let me, let me address this for you a little bit. Uh, Cause there's a lot to unpack there. Um, first of all, umpires, our mindset is everything's a strike until it isn't. I mean, you're thinking strikes. You're not thinking balls. A, a baseball game flows much better when a pitcher's throwing strikes, which means the hitters are swinging the bat, which means the ball is being put in play, which means everybody's involved and the game flows. Uh, it's, 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 you know, similar to a basketball game when nobody can make a shot and you have all these rebounding fouls and stuff, you know, but if they're making shots down, you know, I mean, that, that game usually flows pretty well. Same thing with baseball and, 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 you know, no one wants to go to a game to watch a bunch of guys throw balls and walk. <laughs> that's not, that's not exciting. Um, so an umpire's mindset is, or should be certainly. Um, and a lot of the times in amateur levels, when I do these clinics and stuff, it, it's, it's the obvious, it's like, it's like, it's, you know, they, they have a postage stamp. It's like, dude, 
think strikes. Everything's a strike until it isn't a strike. Don't go the opposite. Everything is a ball until it is a strike. That's not the way you want to do it. So that means those borderline calls, those calls that can go either way, and you have a ton of them, um, uh, you know, usually during the game and also through the course of a season. Um, my mindset was always, you know, it, ball. Yeah, I could have called that straight. Well, then I should have called it straight. If I could have called it, I should have, right? I mean, it's, it's a borderline. But now you're talking about a catcher. A catcher is helping. You, you know, I, I, I want to, <laughs> I might be the minority on this uh, uh, opinion, but I think framing is, is overrated, okay? But I'm not saying that receiving the ball isn't overrated. And let me tell you the difference. Um, one of the best receivers I had in my career was early in my career was Bob Boone. Bob Boone was a catcher who made everything look good. I swear to God. I mean, he, he, he had a, he had a way of massaging and that's the, the word I like to use massaging the pitch to where that borderline pitch, that pitch is maybe a little bit outside the way he, uh, softly just caught that and didn't make a big deal out of it, but, but just massage He made everything look good. Um, what happens nowadays, a lot of times, these guys will take a pitch and they'll, they'll, they'll be a little bit more um, uh, uh, jerky with it or, you know, uh, uh, with, with trying to trying to kind of make that frame where, where, where Boone and other, other guys that, yeah, they, they'd stick it uh, and, and they, they, you know, they'd stick it to where to where uh, uh, they don't jerk it over or something. They just kind of stick it and massage it. You know, it's hard to explain, but it's when you smoother. see it, it just makes yeah. it look good. You um, know it when you see it. Exactly. And, and the, 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 what I see with and, and, you know, some of these guys are outstanding at, at doing that. Others, not so much. But what it tells an umpire when you have a when you have a tough borderline outside pitch and I see the catcher doing this, it's, it's telling me that you think it's out <laughs> um, because you're trying to you know, show me or, or trick me to think it, it, that it's on the plate. A lot of times, if you just catch it, just stick the stick the pitch. It's a borderline, you know. You're you know thinking strikes. You're going to probably get it. But when you do that, it it, it gives that that jerky uh, or that you know that would umpire's good timing. Boom, and it tells me you're telling me you had it outside, you know. And, and that, I, I I just I think you're not helping your pitcher at all. I want to give catcher, a real world a good, example on that. Oh, go ahead, finish. Well, I was just going to say a. Uh, uh, a, a good receiver. I, I don't, you know, you're a pitching coach. If, if you have a catcher, that's not a good receiver, you've got to be screaming. Can, can somebody else please catch? Because it, it does make a difference on how the, you know, on those close, uh, close pitches, how uh, it may be, you know, end up a strike instead of a ball. But, uh, but uh, those guys that can do it and do it very, uh, not almost nonchalant, very, uh, um, uh, very strong wrists and stuff where they, where they're, where they're just stick, that, that low pitch, they don't come down, you know, down here, they, they, they stick that thing here and, and, and it's the same height, but he makes it look, you know, he dresses that ball and, and, and makes it much uh, look, look like it caught the, caught the uh, bottom of the zone instead of one that looks like, you know, he didn't, I guess what I'm trying to say is yes, there are good receivers. Yes. They kind of massage and, and, and make those close pitches look good. But this, this, you know, maybe we're talking semantics here, but, but, but sometimes I think this framing thing is overrated to the point where, oh, he framed that. Or, you know, when a guy jerks a little bit or, or makes that, 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 that kind of move that's not as smooth and like a Bob Boone used to do, that's just telling me, you're telling me you didn't like that pitch either. You think it's outside. Just stick it and, 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 and you're probably going to get it. Yeah, to give, to give a real world example on that, I remember, I'm not going to use names because, I mean, Ryan, you're going to know who I'm talking about anyways. But when I was, uh, I think it was the year my, I had had so many different titles. I think my title that year was like assistant programs coordinator. So I was traveling to affiliates, doing all this stuff. 
spend a little bit, a little bit of time in the big leagues. And with our catching coordinator at the time, me and him were both in double A on the same trip. And we're playing a specific org. I'm not going to say which org it was because they're avid arm care users. I'm not going to say anything about them, but that narrows it down to roughly all 30 teams are using it to some extent. So there you have it. Um, <laughs> but we're watching their guys catch and their catchers are snapping the ball around. They're winging the thing around. Right. And then our catching coaches, Hey, just get in there and catch the ball, catch the ball. And I'm like, so what's the big difference here? I was like, I'm, I, I know that I don't like the way that that catching looks. I like the way that ours looks, but I don't like the way theirs looks. And he goes, well, he goes, let's pull some numbers. So me and him, we went into the clubhouse. We sat down because we could watch it on MILB TV. We're pulling numbers up. We're looking at this org's positive strikes, negative strikes. In the minor leagues, they're killing it. They're really snappy and aggressive. But then when they get to the big leagues, all of a sudden, it's all this big, huge negative shift. He's like, that big, aggressive thing works on inexperienced umpires that are still learning. But as you get to the higher levels, you see those numbers start dwindling down. And it is right. about how soft you can be. How calm can you be? Right. Even if that ball's off by an inch, if you're consistently calm and, and the, the, the pitcher's around the zone, the pitcher's got to be around the zone, Right. it's going to sway that thing in the way, just like you're saying. It makes it look a little bit better because you're thinking strike, 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 strike. Right. This guy's aggressive and winging his arms around. It's, it's very hard for someone to go, Hey, I'm going to side with that guy when he's, you know, flipping out behind the plate, you know? So I remember having that conversation, you know, who I'm talking about Ryan. Um, but I always try, tried to plan my trips with him and a couple other guys to always be in the same cities at the same time. Cause I'm going to learn something about a position that I'm not familiar with. Right. Yeah. See, sorry. Right. I don't mean to jump in. Cause like, it's just, it's amazing to talk to an umpire to, to see these things is that there's, there's now different schools of thought and catching where it used to be like, you want to catch things with an L right? Mm -hmm. Catchers are now starting to do a double hinge. You, you never, you were taught to never put your thumb down. Um, you break your thumb, right? right? But, but now, you know, when, the, when the pitch is, especially kind of on the outside, right? That's probably, let's say it's a, it's a right-handed batter and it's a right-handed pitcher. He's going to the lower bottom corner. That's a tough one for you to call, right? Because you're on the closest side of the batter. So I kept asking, you know, some catching guys and I said, you know, on that pitch, that's a down and away pitch and you want to steal that strike. What's the approach? Because they don't teach. So the thumb position, they don't really teach this action because you're, that's what you're talking about. You're catching right. them in, but what they're teaching is something called a double hinge where the wrist. So the, so it gets at the elbow bends and the wrist bends to pull it into the body. But what you're talking about I'm wondering, because, you know, umpires, you're going to have pretty good peripheral vision that you actually might see, I don't know, potentially as the ball's coming in, some kind of motion with the arm rather than just catching it, you know, well, least motion. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the bottom line is we're, 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 we're tracking the baseball, obviously. Um, but, you know, again, if a, if a catcher can, can present the pitch, uh, you, you, you had just said something about, you want to steal that strike. I think you said, or, or, or yeah. we right? call it, well, people on the inside, they call it catcher extra strikes or catcher stolen strikes. Right. Cause they think you guys are perfect. Right. So we're trying to, you know, we're trying to take it away from, yeah, you. Well, I get, I'd hate to be a fly on the wall in some of those medians talking about us. <laughs> okay. I'm just saying, but, uh, um, no, but, 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 you know, and again, I, you know, Sal Fasano, you guys know Sal, uh, yeah. I know Sal very Worked well. Yeah. Him. Yes. Yeah, we had him when I was with the Angels. He was our yes. double A manager. One yep. of the best 
catchers to work behind because he made everything look good. Sal had had uh, had the you know he was in the same vein as as Boone when I was talking about earlier. Uh, we you know when when Sal was was playing we <laughs> and you know some of those years you know he was the uh, number two catcher so you'd only get him maybe on a Sunday day game or you know whatever and you and you were thrilled when you got him as a play guy you were happy as hell because uh, here's a guy first of all he's a good guy you know and 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 somebody you could talk to and 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 not you know he's not going to you know, shove stuff up stuff but uh, <laughs> but he's also but he's also a very good receiver and i would think every pitcher would want to throw to him I, you know in, in my experience because of you know and any good I don't, I don't care who it is if it's a good receiver that can massage those uh those close pitches and make those pitches those borderline pitches uh uh you know look good and 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 present them uh in a, in a positive way I, I would think any pitcher would want him conversely when you have a guy that you know not to name names, but there's some guys that, that I've had in the big leagues that, you know, they were pretty good hitters, not the greatest receivers in the world. Right. And I, I'm not sure how many, uh, how, how many, uh, what kind of a detriment that was to, to, to their pitching staff over the course of the, of the season because of, of his uh, catching skills, his receiving skills or whatever. I, I mean, it, you know, it makes a difference. I, I don't want to say that, you know, I hate the word framing. I just hate that word because it, it the connotation is, is like, Oh gosh, I don't know where it's at. I, I you know, I guess you, you know, but, but, but yes, yes, you can, um, you can, you know, over the course of a game, if a, if a guy throws, you know, a hundred pitches, and let's say there's uh, seven of them that are that are that you know borderline outside corner or whatever. And if you got a good receiver, you, you know you might get six, all seven of them. If you got a, 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 a not so good receiver, you may not get any of them, or you may only get uh, three of them, or so. You know, I mean, and, and of course, as you guys know, that could be a big difference depending yeah. on when that pitch is. So, um, you know, it's 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 it does make a difference when you have a receiver that can. And if you, yeah. by the way, if you see Sal, tell him hello. Yeah, two well, things on that when you were saying about sal there's real quick but i know we got to wrap it up bart but it's got to be good to throw, throw to sal because he's like this big he's giant he's one of the biggest people i've ever seen in my he, life he protects big me. old mustache you know <laughs> but then just to touch on that you know we've had him on here before he's the guy who mentored me with tom house i don't know if you ever ran into him as a coach and the coaching side of it or not but he always said there's catchers that can sometimes hit. And then there's hitters who can wear catcher's gear. So it's like, there's those two things that happen when you get to the big leagues, but nobody does it both. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty rare, but yeah. You know, and you're talking about Sal's a big guy, but you know what? He got down. He, you could see the ball really well with Sal. Uh, he would, he would get him. in there and catch pens when in yeah. uh, spring training and he'd get uh, in there, this giant guy, have his butt on the ground. It was impressive. Yeah, to he, see. He, you know, he, again, just because he was a big guy, you know, some big guys are tough to see just because they're kind of, you know, kind of hulky the way they get down. Uh, I'm so old. I had Carlton Fisk. Carlton was a huge dude. <laughs> okay. But uh-huh. he got down really well. I mean, you could actually see the ball, you know, pretty decently with him. So uh, it makes a difference for sure. Well, Dale, I'm very interested in your book. There's lots of books out there by players and coaches and analysts, but I don't know of any by an umpire. Why don't you give us a little details of, of the title, a little bit about it and where we can find it? Well, uh, it came out uh, technically May 1st, although uh, it, had, uh, it was out by late March. Uh, people were getting the copies of it. It's called The Umpire is Out. Uh, it's a memoir of my 37 years in professional baseball, five in the minor leagues and the 32 in the major leagues. Uh, some pretty funny stories, both minor and major league stories, uh, kind of a peek behind the curtain, uh, so to speak, of an umpire's life and, and, and how we uh, see things and approach things and that kind of stuff. It's also a, a personal journey of mine. Um, I was the 
first active male official in the big five sports to come out as gay in 2014. Um, I, uh, uh, but I went full circle because when I entered uh, baseball in 1981 was my first year after umpire school. Um, I was actively uh, trying to make sure nobody, well, baseball didn't know who I really was um, because obviously I, I wanted to get promoted and, and try to be, sure. get to the big leagues. But also I, I came out uh, literally, or not, I didn't come out, but I started my uh, professional baseball uh, career two weeks after the first reported cases of, of AIDS in, in, in the 80s, which of course at the time they didn't know what it was. They, they didn't know how to spread. There was a lot of fear and stuff. And so I, I had to not only was I not wanting anyone to know in baseball I was gay because I thought it would affect my uh, possibility of moving up, but now I was also thinking if someone found out I was gay, they wouldn't want to even want to work with me. I mean, because right. in the minor leagues, you're 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 traveling together, you're working together, you're in the same hotel, you know, all that kind of stuff. So um, it talks about how my progression through uh, through the minor leagues and the big leagues and 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 that um, where I go full circle and in 2014 I, I actually come out um, uh, publicly and and uh, and how that uh, came full circle so but uh, some great uh, baseball stories that's getting you know the feedback's been been good and uh, uh, you know I, it was a lot of fun I, I've obviously never written a book before it was a lot of fun Rob Nyer helped me he's uh, an author that's worked, uh, uh, written a few baseball books he's a baseball writer for 20 plus years of Fox ESPN um, so, uh, I'm, I'm real happy with it. I hope, uh, people, uh, pick it up and enjoy it. I, uh, uh my website, uh, umpiredalescott.com has all the information on how to get the book and, and a bunch of other stuff, uh, uh, that I've done. Um, so anyway, that's, uh, that's the way to do it. It's pretty awesome. I mean, you must have first, you must love the game to get into umpiring, but then to turn around after all those years and write a book, you must still love the game more than, more than ever. Yeah. And it was, you know, writing that was, was interesting because every, you know, every chapter I write about, you know, world series, I've had, you know, three world series, uh, 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 you know, playoffs. I, I write about our union issues in 99 when our union blew up, uh, 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 you know, <laughs> self-inflicted uh, wound there. Um, but every, every chapter or everything I was writing about, it took me back, you know, right back to when I was doing it and, and the emotions and, and, and the thoughts that were happening. So it was really a uh, kind of cathartic for me after, a, after a long career to, to do that and, and, and kind of go back over it. But it's, uh, it's, it was a lot of fun. I've gotten, like I said, some great feedback and uh, hopefully people will pick it up and enjoy it. And, and I just found out, hopefully, uh, uh, I mean, supposedly uh, we just did the deal. Uh, there'll be an audio book coming out and I'll be the uh, narrator for it since, you know, I Very spent cool. five Very years cool. in radio, so I know how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Dale, this has been a pleasure. Uh, definitely. I loved it. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Anytime guys. Yep. Until next time, take care.